would, uh, turning to the book of Mark, chapter 6. Our sermon text this morning will be Mark 6, 7 through 13. If you were here last week, uh, this is the next passage. Uh, last week we heard and saw how Jesus was rejected in his own hometown of Nazareth by his own people. And now he left there and is traveling around preaching to other villages in the region of Galilee. And now he invites his disciples to join him and he sends them out to join in this ministry of traveling around to preach the good news of the kingdom, uh, to heal and to minister to others. So let's read this passage. And I think there's a lot here that will help us learn uh, what Jesus calls us to do and how he calls us to partake in his mission. So Mark 6, uh, verse 7 through 13. And he, Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, give us grace. Uh, We would hear from you. Uh, soften our hearts now as we listen and change us. Give us grace. Uh, we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. It's clear here in the passage, uh, and as you, if you have read up to this point in Mark, that Jesus has a very clear mission of why he is here and why he has come. And as I said, he is now calling the disciples to participate more in that mission. And we are called to this mission as well. It's a common mission that all followers of Jesus share in. In Mark, Jesus has been presented as a king. And the fact that he's a king implies that he has a mission. Because kings have kings rule, don't they? Kings have a realm. Uh, so there is authority that they wield. The very first ver- verse of Mark announces that Jesus is this king. And says the beginning, this is Mark's title, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Christ, the king, the son of God and son of God also relates to his being the king. So this is where it begins. This is the fact that Jesus is the king and that this is good news. Um, It is good news because it means that Jesus as king is redeeming and restoring and saving this world. Us, his people, but the entire creation as well. So he has a kingdom, a growing kingdom, and there's much to do in this kingdom. Uh, I remember when I was 10 years old, my parents uh, started to build uh, their own house and they did a lot of the work themselves. I was 10, so I got to do some of that work. And looking back on that, I can remember just the planning, uh, you know, before before any uh, effort is put into it, there's all this planning and work that, that's done. And then you have all of this work that goes into building this house uh, step by step, stage by stage. There's so much to do. 
Well, if that's just one single house, how much work has to be done to build an entire kingdom, to restore an entire creation in the kingdom of Jesus, in his realm, there's a lot of work to be done. And so he invites us into that work, the work of building up his kingdom. And it's, it's hard work. It's dangerous. Following Jesus is hard because it means, of course, we're not in charge. He's the king. And so he asks us to do things that are difficult, that we're not always uh, ready or willing to do. Uh, it's hard. It's difficult. We all have to admit that, don't we? But as we hear about this common mission, um, we're going to ask that question. Well, if it's so hard, if it's difficult, why would we do it? Why would we join Jesus on this hard and difficult mission? So we're going to ask that question uh, as we go through. And as we see, there's going to be some elements of discontinuity uh, from these disciples here. These are the 12 apostles. They're unique in some sense. So there's going to be some things that don't particularly relate to us probably directly. But there are much there's much more continuity than discontinuity. So we'll see that as we go through. And as we just sort of organize our thoughts on this passage, we're going to just organize it in three, uh, three, three uh, sections. So the first section we're going to call uh, the call of the mission. And then we'll look at the ministry of the mission and the rejection of the mission. So the call of the mission, the ministry of the mission and the rejection of the mission. And as we do that, we'll be asking this question. Uh, why, why, sh- why would we follow Jesus on this mission? Uh, why would we go into something so hard and dangerous? So let's look at the call of the mission first. We see the call of the mission in verse 7. It says, And he, Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now, this language here of calling and sending, you have to know, is official language of representing someone. Uh, This was a common notion at the time. You could appoint someone to be your official representative in the legal system. And when they spoke, they spoke for you. And when they acted, they acted on your behalf. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's investing this official authority in the apostles to represent him and what they do on this mission. So they're uh, representing Jesus. Now, all of us represent Jesus. We know that in some capacity. Now, there is, again, a unique sense in that these are apostles and there is a foundational role. They were eyewitnesses to the things that Jesus did and said when he was on earth. God committed to them the work of, through the Holy Spirit, putting down uh, those uh, test that testimony about Jesus into the scriptures. So there's a unique foundational element here that, of course, we do not share in in that official capacity. But in another very real sense, we are representatives of Jesus and we are called to live for him, to serve him, to represent him in all that we do. And what a great privilege and gift that is that Jesus calls us to do it. And if you're like me at this point, you say, Jesus, why would you pick people like us? We who are so uh, prone to distraction and weak and frail. And, you know, I have to admit, there's times where I, I, you know, stand, I'm stand, I stand back when I see how hard following you in this mission can be. And, you know, Jesus, I just don't care about people enough oftentimes. And that's just the blunt truth. But Jesus says, I know all of that. And yet I still call you to follow me, to represent me to others. 
In fact, that's that's the qualification that you feel ill equipped to do this, says Jesus, because I don't use great people in my mission. I take people who are weak, who understand how great I am in the midst of the mission. Those are the type of people that I use and call to represent me. You notice, as we've read, the list of provisions that he says uh, to take with them and what not to take, uh, basically. Very minimal. And I don't think the best uh, interpretation here uh, or, or benefit to you would be for me to try to interpret these in a modern way and sort of bring these things over into our culture and tell you about, you know, leaving behind your GPS or your smartphone or something. I don't think that's the best way to apply the passage. But just notice as you read those verses, look at verse eight. Uh, what he's basically telling them is, look, <laughs> um, you need to go not knowing what's going to happen. You need to go in a way that you know you have to depend and rely on me. So he says, don't take anything except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money. Uh, just wear sandals, one tunic. Don't take two uh, and go and actually stay with those who you're preaching with, depend on their hospitality. And what he's saying is go in such a way where you don't know what's going to happen where you're vulnerable, where you have to trust in me. and You have to know and pray and call out to me and depend on me completely. And that's a hard thing. We know that. Jesus says, you know, the things that we easily latch on to, our own comfort or being in control of the situation, I want to take those away and remind you, as you go, as you serve me, as you represent me, you need to depend completely on me. Are you hesitant right now? Is there a relationship, someone you work with, you're hesitant to speak with, or you talk with them on a certain level, but you're hesitant to take it to deeper things or spiritual things, or maybe there's a family relationship that you sort of stepped back from, where Jesus would actually encourage you to go into this mission and represent him in some way. Well, if the only reason you're not doing so is because you've decided, well, I just don't know what will happen. I'm just I'm not sure what what will what will take place. Um, If the only reason is that you're not doing it is, you know, maybe this is uncomfortable for me. Well, I would suggest that's probably and what Jesus is saying to us here. It's probably not a good enough reason. It's going to be the case. That's the way it should be. So to do this, we have to trust in Jesus. We have to believe certain key things. Things like the fact that God uses people like us, as we mentioned, that God will help us when we ask. We have to believe that God will give us the words to say, give us wisdom, that he has put. We have to believe this. He has put us where we are for a reason. Is God sovereign or not in his providence? Where has he placed us and why do you believe it's because he has a heart for you to represent him there to call people to know him, to love him. You have to believe that. Of course, school is starting soon. Uh, I was talking with Anna and Eleanor a couple of nights ago as I was thinking about this passage, and I thought, you know, it says go two by two. And I just need to take Anna aside, as we've often told her again, and just remind her, 
As you, Anna, go to Sugar Hill Elementary, you represent Jesus there. That's where God has called you. And now, Eleanor, entering kindergarten, you are going two by two into this place, and you guys are going to represent Jesus there. And we were just talking about this and how that means we need to pray and ask Jesus to help them because it's going to be hard. And, you know, it's just a, a sweet moment as a father. You just love those. And Anna said to me, you know, Dad, uh, you know, Daddy, um, when I go, I'm going to ask. Um, we met a girl, Ashley, who's going to be in her class, who was in her class last year. She said, you know, when we go, I'm going to ask Ashley the catechism questions, uh, the first three questions. And Deb, I know you'll appreciate this because um, you taught him to her. And I said, "That's great, Anna." And, and she said, "Yeah, she's already, Ashley's already a Christian, but we're gonna we're gonna work with each we're gonna encourage each other, and and uh, I'm gonna ask her these catechism questions." And I said, "Well, you know, you just make sure she wants to do it too. Some churches don't do catechism like we do, and you know, just make sure she you know, don't you don't push it on her. And but it, that's great. That'll be awesome." She says, "Oh no, I've already asked her the questions. I taught him I taught him to her last year." <laughs> And um, one of those moments, you know, of ye, oh, ye of little faith. And, and uh, I was like, oh, that's great. That's, that's awesome. The first Presbyterian missionary to Sugar Hill Elementary. And now we have two. Um, but God uses people, doesn't he? He has placed you in a specific place. Where has God called you to be? Uh, in your school. Others of you are heading off to school very soon. Uh, in your home. Extended family, your immediate family, and your work, uh, or if you're going off to the Marines, like Caleb, where has God called you to be? He will use you, and he's called you to represent him there. He's called you to be in that particular place. So that's the call. Uh, now we have the ministry of the mission. As we look at this passage, there's two main things that we're to do in how we're to minister. Uh, the first is... We're to serve. It's a ministry of, of deeds, of doing things to serve others. The other is a speaking ministry, the ministry of the word. So word and deed ministry. Um, notice the deed ministry in verse 13. It says, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. I was uh, driving past another church this week and on their sign it said, this Sunday there's going to be a healing service. And of course, uh, there's a part of me and my theology and, and being a Presbyterian that recoils at that a bit. But there's another part of me that, that I had to rebuke myself and say, you know, <laughs> do I have great confidence in the power of Jesus to heal? That when we pray for someone to be healed when they're sick, do I actually have confidence in that? Do I have that uh, confidence and in the power of Jesus that he's a king who's restoring all things? And I had, to, I had to wrestle with that a little bit. Of course, we don't heal on demand like Jesus did. Um, and of course, here is mentioned the demons being cast out. And um, I don't know if some of you have met. I know some of you have met Marcus Toole, who ministers up in Alberta, Canada. He deals with uh, demons a lot. I mean, there's, there's a lot of dark powers that are very overt and not hidden like they are around us. And he has to pray in the name of Jesus for Jesus to uh, restrain the power of these dark forces. And that's a reality. Um, and we don't need to take that for lightly at all. But what it's getting down to here really is that we would probably take from it is, look, wherever the people are, when you go to them, you serve them. 
And that's what we're to do. We're, when we represent Jesus, we're to serve these people wherever their needs are. Uh, notice that, again, they depended upon their hospitality as they went. You were to stay with them. You couldn't hide. They couldn't hide what they were really dealing with. And so whatever people are, wherever when you're interacting with them, whatever their needs are, we are to serve them and at those needs and minister to them. The apostles at this point have been traveling around with Jesus, seeing his ministry of healing, of serving in so many ways. And Jesus is saying simply, just now do what I have done. You have seen how I have served those around me and what they have needed. I've done for them and I've been sacrificial about it. Now you go and you do the same. And of course, we're called to do the same as well. Um, We don't see Jesus. We haven't seen those with our own eyes, but we have seen Jesus work in powerful ways. And we have seen on the pages of these uh, Gospels how Jesus served in sacrificial ways and Jesus calls us to do the same. So that's the serving ministry, the ministry of deed. But also there's a word ministry in verse 12. So they went out, it says, and proclaimed that people should repent. There's an urgent message to return to the Lord Jesus as the king and center of our lives, because that's what they proclaimed. Jesus is king. He is the Christ. He's taking back all of his former realm and restoring it all. You need to repent because we have all put ourselves on the throne. We need to return to Jesus and put him at the center of our lives. And so the message is simply the king is here. Turn away from sin uh, and put Jesus at the center of our lives. Now, we saw that last week, that that's not a very popular message, because that message says to us, especially those of us who are familiar with the gospel, we're not good people like we thought we were. Remember the people in Nazareth who were so offended, the religious people, the devout people, people like us, and they were offended at that message. We need to repent at that offense and put Jesus at the center. So this word is actually going to offend that word of repentance and calling people to Jesus. And that brings us to the last point, um, the rejection of the mission. But before we go on, let me just ask this question. As, as again, we're asking the, the, the question, why would anyone go on this mission? Why would anyone follow Jesus when this is so hard and difficult? Well, As we think about serving and the ministry of word that we're to partake in, you know, why would anyone serve so sacrificially and give up so much? Why would anyone want to speak words that for sure at times will offend? Well, let's let's move on and we'll answer that question at the end. So the rejection of the mission, this leads us into the final point. Um, Jesus says just very bluntly, by the way, you're going to be. Rejected by folks Uh, in verse 11, he says this plainly. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus is very honest and says this is going to happen and I want you to be prepared for it. Now, that sort of uh, action of shaking the dust off your feet is kind of an unusual one. We don't do that uh, to each other, uh, thankfully. Um, but it's basically a symbolic act, a prophetic act. of uh, It's a final act of testimony against them. 
You've heard the words about Jesus. You've rejected them. So now we've kind of we're going to dust off the feet and we're leaving you. But we've told you and now we're leaving you. And now it's between you and God and it's between you and God. You'll have to face him if you continue to reject Jesus. We leave you in his hands. So Jesus wants us to prepare ourselves for rejection. Remember Jesus' statement in John 15 as a sort of a paradigm. He said, if the world hates you, look, know that it has hated me before it hated you. We didn't call attention to this last week, but remember when Jesus was at Nazareth. Just look a few verses back up in chapter 6 at verse 3. Remember one of the questions they asked when they're offended at Jesus. In verse 3 they said, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James? Now, it's not kind of on the surface as we read that, but most commentators agree when they say, isn't this the son of Mary? What they were saying in that patriarchal culture was, Jesus, uh, why should we listen to you? You're not so great. Honestly, Jesus, we don't even know who your father was. It was a slam. It was an insult. That's what they were doing. They were degrading him and deriding him and insulting him. Of course, Jesus faced this his entire ministry on the cross. He saved others. He can't save himself even. And he was mocked and insulted there. Uh, The early church was mocked because they believed and proclaimed that Jesus was the king. The king who was crucified. That And that made them the the topic of of mockery and the target of mockery, because how can you believe that the Savior of the world, God Almighty, was crucified? Those things didn't fit in the worldview. In fact, in the early church, of course, you know, this continues. There was a, a, a graffitied wall found that dates from the early 100s A.D., where... Uh, Someone has inscribed an insult on the wall, mocking a Christian. It says, Alex Semenos worships his God. And it's a picture of this guy, Alex, worshiping Jesus. And they've drawn Jesus on a cross. So it's his, his body on the cross with the head of a donkey. Basically saying, uh, Alex, you worship an ass. That's how foolish uh, you are. And so the insults that come to Jesus, that have come throughout the church, come to us. You guys know that. Um, can you handle that? Can you, be, can you handle being called narrow and exclusive and judgmental, which we often are in our culture? Do you know how to answer those? You need to take those seriously and listen to those and respond in a gracious way, in a thoughtful way, and, and obviously be prepared for that. And that's just how it is as we follow Jesus in his mission. But our attitude, of course, needs to be, who cares? In a real sense, who cares? If I know Jesus, if I'm with Jesus, if he loves me, who cares? Even though it's hard. So why would anyone go on a mission where failure and insult is virtually guaranteed And the other questions we asked, why would anyone put themselves in a position where you're so vulnerable, where you don't know what's going to happen on the mission? And why would anyone serve so sacrificially? And why would anyone speak words, the words of repentance, calling others to repentance that will repent, will offend others? The only way we can do this 
is if we know the same Jesus who bore those insults, who knows our sin and our rejection of him, who died for us, if we know that we have his love, that he has opened our eyes, that we're blind, that he came after us, that he's our king, only if we know that can we follow him on this mission, that he's called us by his grace, that he's redeemed us forever, that our sins will never be brought back into our face again, but all of them, past, present, and future, have been done away with and cast into the depths of the sea. Only when we marvel at his greatness can we say, Jesus, I don't care, even if I don't know what's going to happen to me, even if it's hard, even if I fail, even if it's insulting, I will come with you, King Jesus. There's a very poignant moment in the books by J.R.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings. In the second book, there's a king who is kind of not paying attention to his kingdom. And he is, it's been kind of overtaken by the bad guys. And uh, Gandalf comes and sort of awakens him and revives him. And it's almost as if this king has risen from the dead. And he comes out and his subjects see him renewed and restored. And he is giving orders. And they're so astonished by this vision of the king. They come and almost like an impulse, they lay down their swords at his feet and they say, command us, king, command us. And that's what Jesus is calling to us today. If you see me, that I am the great king who has risen from the dead, who has redeemed you, I want you to lay your life at my feet. Say, Lord, I am yours Command me, whatever you would have me to do. We don't need to underestimate the power of Jesus. Just listen to this uh, passage from Isaiah 9 about Jesus and his kingship and his power. It says, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's the king who's called you and me to represent him. And when we fail him, he's the best king of all. Because he forgives. He's already died for our sins. And he will give us grace. And he wants us to join him in the mission of renewing all things and spreading the good news that Jesus is renewing all things. Father, thank you so much for your grace toward us in Jesus. Thank you for this passage, which is so challenging to us. Father, we are hesitant. We just we want to put that before you. You know our weakness and our failure. We uh, are not worthy to be yours. We're not worthy to serve you. And yet you call exactly those sorts of people to partake in your work, to speak words of truth, your truth, to serve sacrificially as Jesus did, to represent you wherever you have us. So we ask for grace. We ask for strength this day. Uh, Be with us, Jesus. And help us to catch a greater vision of your glory as king so that we would see that you have called us and you are faithful. So you will do it through us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.